I really wanted to confess to you that I needed to do some important trades before speaking today. Um, and who knows that you can make trades at the, the foot of the cross, that you can hand Jesus garbage and he get, hands you treasure. Uh, so some of that, uh, the, some of that, one of those trades was anxiety, right? I'm typically an anxious person, especially when it comes to speaking in front of people. So I handed Jesus that anxiety and he handed me back excitement. So I'm excited to be with you today. And then, man, another, another important trade was insecurity, right? Like, man, there's no one harder on myself than me. You know what I mean? But that insecurity was traded with, for bravery. And so I'm, I'm just claiming that bravery today. I'm claiming the fact that I can look you in the eyes and I can speak to you uh, throughout this message. And I do have two crooked eyes, which is weird for orientation when I call on an individual, like five people speak at once. <laughs> so just know that's, that's normal and that's just part of how God created me. Um, and that embracing the way that the Lord has created me has really taken, you know, 40 some plus years. And even the idea that he formed us in our mother's womb for a specific time and for a specific you purpose, and he even uses our deformities for good. So I am so thankful uh, for who I am and for who God created me to be, and just the reassurance from Jenna Cruzy of, hey, just be yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, um, yeah, just uh, so, so important. So I'm going to drop some wisdom uh, on you guys today. I've really, man, it was 40 days of press, fasting, 168 hours of prayer, and a month of preparation. And I have no idea how pastors do this week after week after week. I mean, that's just insane that you could do this again. Uh, thankfully, I'm not a part of the teaching team. You won't see me until the year 2027 again. <laughs> so, so this is it. So get your notes out. Um, and and I really wanted to to talk about when I was young, right? When I was young, we would see these things called McMansions, and I grew up in a small two-bedroom home. I mean, we used to eat lead paint for fun. I mean, it was, it was just terrible, but I saw those McMansions, and I wondered, like, who is in those houses, and how do they get money? You know, it just really didn't make sense to me. Uh, when I was about 14 and a half, I founded that I could trade my time for money, so I got a job as a dishwasher, and and I worked as much as I possibly could, and that dishwasher went to a cook, and a cook became a, a meat cutter. And when I was a meat cutter, um, a friend of mine who was playing uh, professional soccer at the time had a side hustle, right? So the side hustle was, here's a 40-pound ba uh, box of frozen chicken breasts. If you bone those out, you get $2. I was like, man, that's a game changer. So we stacked them up 20 high, and we would bone out chicken breasts all night long for two bucks a box. And, and so I was in love with money, right? I just really was. I just wanted more of it. I went to college, and I got a degree in finance and economics. And then I looked around the marketplace, and I was like, who has money? Who has money? Banks have money, so I'm going to work for a bank because surely they'll share that money with me, right, if I'm working for them and stuff. So I got a job at Wells Fargo Business Credit, and I did uh, loan administration and then audit and some liquidation work with them. And 
And then I found out that the banks don't share very well. You know what I mean? Like they want to keep all their money, or most of it anyhow. And at that time, I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that my brother recommended. And it kind of helped me uh, shift my mindset about how wealth is created. I'm so thankful uh, that at this phase of my life, I am recognizing some of the unrecognized demons uh, that are in our society today. And if you're in Christ, you can't be possessed by these demons, but you can be oppressed by these demons. Uh, I think of these demons as like little gnats. Like they really don't hurt you, but they cause you to do things that look just goofy, right? You know what I mean? Uh, so this, these ideas of the demon of mine or the demon of more, the demon of comfort, I believe, grips this generation. God did not create us to die in a comfortable position. A demon of confusion. People have so much going through their mind, they can't think right. A demon of convenience. I need it now. The demon of greed. The demon of fear. And as I pray today, I just uh, I give those demons an eviction notice from this congregation at Mercy Road Northwest. You have no power in this place, Lord. These people are cleansed uh, by your red blood and your white throne of authority. So demons, be gone from this place. Loosen grips, soften hearts, Lord God, and let your beauty and light shine through. In Jesus' name I pray. So as I started on my Christian journey, I was like, you know, I'm in love with money. Like, what gives, you know? And as you walk with Christ, he shows you things. He reveals things to you. And, and I found out that, you know, when my parents got divorced, when I was about 10 years old, I really made this soul tie. I made this soul tie with the evil one. And I, I told that individual, if you give me enough money and if you give me enough power, I will serve you. Oof. That's terrible, right? Um, so I was in love with money. And, and then, thankfully, I was able to find out what the antidote to that soul tie was. And that antidote is generosity. And that generosity has really healed me from the grip of that soul tie. And I'm so thankful that Christ will not leave you where he found you. He moves us from glory to glory to glory, and he wants our lives fully surrendered to him. As we die to ourselves and we live for him, we become more Christ-like in, in all of our actions. And today you're going to receive invitation, and you're going to receive challenge. And I'm so thankful that he did that with me. I'm so thankful that the Lord brought me to the end of myself. He, he gave me those financial rewards that I was seeking as a young man in love with money. And he, he showed that those were actually false horizons, like mirages, because once I got there, I saw like they weren't real and they weren't worthy of pursuit. And this idea of you know moving from a believer to lordship was a big transaction for me. So kneeling down and giving the Lord the reins of my life and not just declaring him Savior, but living for him was a, was a huge thing. So I was 30 years old, right? So I was a late bloomer in Christ, right? <laughs> and I had uh, developed a lot of really good tools, uh, you know, like spreadsheets, man. I'm really, really good at spreadsheets. And how could God use a guy who was good at spreadsheets 
well, serving on the operations team kind of helps with budget preparation and, you know, um, capital campaigns. Um, but when the Lord transformed my heart, he transformed my eyes as well. And so um, I'm in the multifamily apartment space, and I saw the residents at the first part of my journey as unit numbers and as income streams, but they were transformed from that to God's greatest possessions, right? Human beings are the Lord's greatest possessions. And so it set us, uh, it gave us a new trajectory to restore hope by transforming communities across Indiana. And we're on a pathway to 40 communities by the year 2030. We're about 75% of the way there. Um, and we hope to leave these communities of beacons of light uh, scattered throughout our state. But I really wanted to be transparent with you guys about some of the ugly on my own journey with Christianity. Originally, when I went to church, I figured, well, if guns and roses and poison could exist on $25 tickets, why can't the local church, right? Why, why would I give the local church more than that? Because it was just a show, right? And that was some of the ugly on my own journey. I also believe the false lie that if I um, gave to the church, then I would not be provided for. And that is such a lie. And man, this is the one that I'm most ashamed of. If, if I gave the church a, a big check, then maybe I should be worshipped. Oh man, is that ugly, right? I also had some church hurts that I was dealing with. Uh, a church, uh, not part of the Mercy Road family of churches, uh, there was an affair uh, with the lead pastor and there was embezzlement as well. Uh, six figures were taken from the church. And another church on that uh, journey had a, a moral failing um, a couple of times. And, and so when I came to Mercy Road, I was a pretty jaded Christian. Like, is this real or isn't this real? Like, is this kind of all a big show where, you know, you're collecting these tithes just so that one individual can get a big paycheck or maybe feel good about themselves or their own notoriety. So as a skeptic and as an auditor, I wanted to look at the books because I know that numbers don't lie. Human beings lie, numbers don't show me everything. I want the canceled checks, you know what I mean? And thankfully I came to a growing church and they were like, here you go, like here's everything. It's a huge mess. It was. <laughs> But we put it back together again, and Justin Cruzy was no longer our treasurer, so. <laughs> but I saw the frugal spending that existed, right? I saw these low department budgets. I watched Luke Edgerton and Ashley do a huge personal sacrifice as they reduced their family budget to move back here to Indiana. And... <laughs> and that kind of stuff invigorated me. You know, it was pure, it was good, it was right. And the things coming out of their mouth completely aligned with what was in Scripture and what reality was, and that excited me. And I hope you guys get excited about uh, giving to the Mercy Road uh, churches. Uh, the One Life campaign. So this started, uh, we, I've been going to Mercy Road for about nine years now. So the One Life campaign was our first capital campaign when we were in a lease facility and we we're, I don't know, four or five services a day. And it was time to get our permanent home. So we decided, we hired a consultant first and we're like, how much money can we raise? They're like 250 if you're really, really good. And so 
Josh Hoosman, the founding pastor of Mercy Road Carmel, is like, uh, we met and we talked and we prayed and we feel the number is like 700,000. So it's like, oh, good luck on that, man. You know, there's no way, you know, but, uh, but God, right? But God. Oh, so God showed up and he showed off and uh, we had um, commitments for all $700,000. So we found a building, right? A Borders bookstore in Carmel and we uh, wrote an offer on the building and, you know, I'm in love with money, right? So we started low, right? Real low. And they're like, never talk to us again. And so we increased it a little bit and, you know, they're like, eh. And then, you know, we waited, gave it some time, and we're like, well, look, you've proven what it's not worth. Let us tell you what it is worth. And then finally they accepted, and we're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy, man. So how are we going to get a loan on this building as a starting church? Um, So we went to the bank, and they're like, well, if you came up with this much down payment, we could give you a loan. Well, we had commitments, but you can't take commitments to the bank. They only care about the money, right? (laughs) So um, we ended up meeting as an operations team, and a number of members of our church stepped up, and they offered the church personal loans um, to cover those commitments. And praise God, every one of those commitments was paid, and everyone who wanted their money back was paid back. So that was like $300,000. Can we just give God a hand clap for that? Yeah, it was so cool. And then we're receiving the benefit from the Compassion Campaign, where we raised $3 million. um, And um, part of those funds helped finance the purchase of this building. Uh, Some of you newer to us may not know that this building was purchased out of federal bankruptcy. Uh, So we wrote an offer on it, and they ended up accepting our offer. And then about three weeks later, after the, the party died down, Uh, They said, well, we accepted your offer, but actually that was an opening bid to an auction, and we're sending your purchase agreement out to 350 people around the nation, so good luck. So we met, and we prayed, and we're like, well, we would pay another $600,000 for this campus because it it is worth it, and we feel like the Lord is calling us to that. Um, So that auction occurred, and praise God, we were the opening and only bid at that auction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So financially, we owe less than $2 million on this facility, and the income from Nexus upstairs pays about 90% of our mortgage balance. So as a church, we're kind of living a financially liberated model and I think with courage and with creativity, the Lord would invite you in to live a financially liberated lifestyle. There's a big church off the freeway um, just outside of Fishers, and I believe that the cost of construction was around $20 million. So we're living on less than one-tenth of that, and our worship is just as good or better than any place in the nation. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> Uh, so what is our goal? So that brings us to Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven. 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you have $100 and you need to chop it up between you and your neighbor, 
the way I see it, everybody gets a 50, 50-50, right? And that's the goal that we have here at Mercy Road Northwest, that we would eventually give away 50% of what we bring in. And we're, we've adopted a, a growth mindset as a faith community. We're not there yet, and that's okay, but we know where we're going. And consistent movement in the same direction over a long time yields big results eventually. So we're at 22% today, and we're going to keep on moving forward. <laughs> so how do we express this generosity as a body of believers? Um, Nexus upstairs, even though they pay most of our mortgage, we offer them rent for about a third of the market rent. So they're able to sustain multiple full-time positions upstairs, and they have their own mission that they're able to accomplish. Multiply Indiana is a, a church planting organization uh, created to reach a million disciples by the year 2050. We're going to accomplish that through having 10,000 commitments from individuals to disciple 100 people each. Um, Multiply Indiana has birthed uh, 30 churches in our, in our state, and we are uh, one of the most uh, aggressive church planting movements regional church planting movements in the nation. We also give to the family of churches, and Mercy Road Anderson launched three weeks ago. Do you guys know that they had 505 people at their launch service? Yeah, praise God. It's really an example of an ecosystem. We have a community center, we have the church, and we'll also have some multifamily housing uh, nearby, and then the Lord also provided a country club that we purchased right down the road. <laughs> so if you guys haven't been, I would encourage you. It's really a, a tremendous thing. We also send money to a farm in, in Morocco to help su support the work that they do. The Acton Academy um, is provided space as well as the NG, Indie Hygiene Hub. That's what we do as a body of believers, but I've seen personal demonstrations of generosity that are just astounding. And one of those came um, through sacrificial giving of a member of this community who helped out a family in need personally and outside of the church's finances. And I saw that this individual was wearing glasses. And I said, what's up with the glasses? You know, I didn't even know that you wore glasses. And this individual told me that he gave up buying contacts to help that family in need. How real is that? We've also seen uh, sale uh, proceeds from the sale of vacation rentals to help our, the funding of the church. And as a church body, we've accepted deeds to property, jewelry, and even automobiles. And there are some promises in, uh, in the Bible. And John Gammon there in the back taught me that you can base your life on these promises. That man spent 18 years behind bars and he would physically stand on a Bible as a prophetic act saying that you can base your life on these promises. It says in Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Man, who has felt refreshment here at Mercy Road Northwest? <laughs> Every week, week after week, we have tackled some pretty big things, um, and the Lord keeps on showing up and showing off. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity, 
will result, result in thanksgiving to God. And thankfulness overwhelms this place. Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So that's a promise. You will be blessed when you are generous. I wanted to pivot to the Financial Wisdom Network, and I've got uh, these handouts available for you guys. Um, they're up at the Welcome Desk. Uh, they're also at the Outpost Central, and we have some right over there, um, over by the, uh, to the right of the speaker as well. Ron Blue uh, wrote 17 books on personal finance, and he created this uh, Financial Wisdom Network. I was invited to be a part of it, and we've been meeting for just over a year. Earlier in his life, Ron Blue created the Ronald Blue Trust that handles about $14.5 billion of wealth. Uh, he has 200 advisors, and he recently moved back to the state of Indiana. He's in his early 80s, and I tell you, I want to be just like him, continuing to, to serve at that, that season of his life. So Ron taught me that people like Pastor Luke or Pastor Nick or Pastor Marty, Maddie, they know more about personal finance than the greatest wealth advisors because their knowledge is based on biblical wisdom that is absolutely true. There's a, an assessment if you go to their webpage and it talks about um, stewardship, contentment, contentment, faith, and wisdom. And I would encourage you to take that assessment and see what biblical truth could be helpful for you on your generosity journey. But there's a few questions that I wanted to ask you guys um, that are really telling of where you stand on your generosity journey. The first one is probably the most important. Do you believe that God owns it all? Think about the deed uh, to your property or your car or maybe... Um, uh, some other important possession. Do you believe that's yours or do you believe that God owns it? I think that is an important one. Contentment. Do you believe that what you have right now is enough? God wants contentment on your entire life journey, every step of the way. And even at lower income levels earlier in your career, you could still have contentment. Faith. Do you do you demonstrate your faith through finances? If you were gone and all I had was your bank statement to look at, would it be undeniable that you were a Christian? And then wisdom. Do you believe that God's wisdom is true and available? These are tools and these are resources, and they're all based on biblical wisdom. And I'd encourage you to take that 15-minute assessment. I really think it could be, it will be game-changing. You know, the invitation is, is, is really, it starts with belief, right? But we move from belief to giving. Um, how, do we, how do we demonstrate that? And that sets us down this transformation waterfall. So you start with belief, and then you give. And you give a little bit, right? And that giving demonstrates trust. <laughs> and then that trust creates intimacy, and man, intimacy with the Lord is better than intimacy with your spouse, better than intimacy with your children, better in, than intimacy with your parents. That intimacy is really what brings identity transformation. 
So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see yourself. You see what Christ has done in you and through you. And with that, you can claim the inheritance. Man, so if God owns it all and I'm his adopted son, guess what? <laughs> it's ours, right? That inheritance of eternal life is just so important. And with that comes freedom, right? And I see so many people in bondage in this world. And it's because they're not fully embracing the gifts that the Lord has, has given them. And they're not pursuing the Lord's call. In Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there is the spirit of the Lord is in this place, and he has uh, declared freedom over every individual here. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free in John 8 and 32. You know, Christ paid a high price for that, pre for that freedom. Hanging on the cross was a, was a big deal. I encourage you to live a financially liberated life. And I know people with that contentment and that joy who are making $15,000 a year, and they have more contentment, more joy than some of the millionaires that I know. So I encourage you to uncover the gifts that he has deposited and, and hear his call. So what kind of framework are we operating under? You know, the church is the only ins institution that exists to, to reach its non-members, right? So if you're a guest here today, like this church was built for you. If you don't know Christ as your personal savior, we are here because of that. We're inviting you into that decision. This is not a country club or a cruise ship. This, this is a place where we gather for an hour so we can be sent the other 167 hours of the week. And, <laughs> and the only thing we, can do, we can't do in heaven, and imagine that, we're sitting in heaven, the only thing we can't do there is invite other people to join us. We can do that today though, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can do that as a city, as a local body. Absolutely, yeah. Our lives, we're called for love and joy and adventure and relationship, and we can experience all of that through giving. A friend of mine's father passed away, so he took a, a backpack full of cash over to Burma, and he was went, traveled throughout that nation, and he helped 22 orphanages, you know, just being led by the Spirit the entire way. He experienced love, joy, adventure, and relationship in that journey. You know, the church is the bride of Christ. Man, just conceptualizing that in the last couple years has really changed my mind. Imagine a, a malnourished young woman. Her stomach is bloated. You can see her ribs protruding. Her arms are thin. And imagine that, right? And then imagine that as the bride of Christ, right? Ooh, yeah. That's hard to believe, but the bride of Christ in America is malnourished, just like that person that you just envisioned. Only 13% of evangelicals tithe, and I'm ashamed to say we needed to compare Nick's paycheck to Chick-fil-A salary at one operations meeting, that shouldn't be the case, right? This should be a place of, 
abundance. And don't let that bring guilt or shame or condemnation, but we are going somewhere together as a body. And I believe that this body, the Lord is specifically appointed and anointed for such a time as this. And I believe that generosity will invite a revival for the state of Indiana. And that's, that revival will spill out into the nation. And I believe that generosity and doing that deep work against demons is a big part of that journey. I believe that this church will send half of its funds outside the walls of the church. And when we do that, his presence will be undeniable. You know, people far away from Christ are going to ask, what's going on there? You know, why did you help me out? I'm not even a Christian. Well, guess what? <laughs> we were formed to do that work, and we invite you into a deeper relationship because we want to share our greatest treasure. And our greatest treasure is that affirmation that we know where we go and we know what is waiting for us in eternity. In Matthew six nineteen, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your, where your treasure is, the, your heart will be also. So in my own life, you have your retirement account, right? But does anyone have in a spreadsheet for their eternity account? Like how much treasure is waiting for you in heaven? I'd encourage you to consider that. I'd encourage you to, to think about when you get to heaven. <laughs> and man, it, it says it well in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So we will stand before our creator someday. Uh, some people call it the Bema seat of Christ, Right. And we will receive eternal rewards, and those may come in the form of a crown. And then guess what? Those aren't for us to keep and hoard. We get to lay those back at the feet of our Savior. And man, what a beautiful picture that will be. So think about those eternal rewards instead of retirement. I needed to be okay with God may ask us to do some illogical things, right? And you think about the the walls of Jericho and, and day one, I would have been like, well, that was dumb. Why did we walk around this city? And day two, three, four, five, six, I probably would have put in my resignation notice and I'm not taking part of this. But day seven came breakthrough, right? The trumpet sounded and the walls came tumbling down. So when God asks you to do goofy things, it's okay. The more I learn, the more I learn to be immediately obedient to the prompting of his 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 spirit. And that may be giving away cash to the guy cleaning the bathroom at the airport, or it may mean paying for another person's college education, or it may be um, giving money in a way that you wouldn't expect yourself to. So don't be held captive by a tax deduction. I think that's the gist of it. That write-off from the IRS shouldn't prevent you from operating in what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. This was taught to me by a dying man who prayed over our space in Carmel before we 
before we even got started. I didn't even know the guy was dying at the time. Uh, he was on the side of the road, and the Lord told me to pick him up. He said he was at the bus stop, but there wasn't even a bench there. <laughs> so it ended up that uh, he was a, a, a prophet, um, and he was uh, had two or three years to live at the time, and he prayed over that uh, Mercy Road Carmel, and he taught me that humility is power under control. And if you think about Jesus, he was the most humble individual who ever walked the face of the earth. When you think about him hanging on the cross for us with one nod of his head, with one wink, he could have ripped apart every single molecule that was existed in existence. This was the same guy who spoke planets into existence, and he had that power under control. I would encourage you to be humble, to, to embrace humility in your own life by living beneath where you could. <laughs> maybe you'll live in a house that less than you could afford, or maybe you will drive a used car instead of a new car as you're increasing your humility, or maybe you'll vacation locally instead of internationally, or buy used clothes instead of new clothes to, to increase that power under control. I wanted to share with you a few, uh, I call them new neurological connections that I've made in my generosity journey, and they could be described as best practices as well. And for me, one of them is to use math and not my mind. So these hands I've got, they're sticky. So if money touches me, the Lord won't get enough of it, <laughs> what he's rightly do. So I would encourage you to use a spreadsheet uh, rather than your mind when determining how much to give, and base it off a percentage. Um, in my own life, there was the before Christ Ethan and then the after death Ethan. I call it BC and AD. And maybe some of you who are like late bloomers in Christ like me would want a full account for all of your income by the time you get to heaven. So eventually you would look at how much income you made before you accepted Christ and you would honor him in that as well. Um, balance sheet giving. There's probably going to be a few times in your life that the Lord calls you to give off of your assets instead of off of your income. So think about the value, the equity in your home, or how much you might have saved in your retirement account, or what your car is worth. That balance sheet giving should become more and more possible. And then finally, sunsetting. I had a good friend of mine. He lives here in Carmel. His dad sold a, build, a business for millions and millions of dollars, and his dad has made the decision to give all of it away while he's still breathing, while he's still on earth. So he's uh, meticulously dismantling all of these assets uh, to be used for the greater good. That idea of sunsetting just expands my mind and has created a, a new neurological connection for me. Like I said before, this church embraces a growth mindset. So begin with a percentage and then focus on growth. And then maybe you'll have one percentage for your, your tithe. And maybe you'd have a bigger percentage for unexpected things like inheritances or the sale of a property. Uh, we had a directional leader meeting a few weeks ago. And, and several people hopped on their banking app and they just changed 
how much they were giving. And as this church becomes their own body and thankfully received the vote to do so, and our hope is that by October 1st, the, the deed would reflect that legal change um, as we assume the loan that was in the name of Mercy Road Carmel. Um, we invite you to expand that, um, that generosity journey. All right, as we close out here today, I'm going to get into an invitation for a prophetic act. <laughs> and if you guys haven't seen a prophetic act carried out at Mercy Road, neither have I. I've been coming here for nine years. <laughs> but um, so a prophetic act, like what is that? What does that consist of? So we have 48 jars of oil over there. And thanks to Ava for packing those up. That's just olive oil um, that are in those jars. And I'm, I'm going to call you, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, to come up and you would hold your jar and you would hold it over the empty tub and hold it about eye level, right? Um, and then I would ask you to make a decision. And when you guys make decisions, you cut off any other options, right? So you'd make a decision and you would drop that jar and you would release it. And if everything we planned correctly, that jar will break. And uh, it'll make a little sound, and it's all a reflection. We're going to call you to decide to release control, right? And how many of us think that we're in control? Guess what? You're not. Claire had a professor from, um, or not a professor, a teacher at North Central, and he came to Mercy Road Carmel on Sunday and on Monday, they had a notice out that that teacher had passed. We are not in control. The prophetic act is so that you would live a poured out life. And we're going to invite you to, to break the jar today. And that's based on Mark 14.3. It says, while he was in Beth Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to break the jar, and she poured the perfume on, it, on his head. The prophetic vision for me came that this place would be like the New York Stock Exchange, that people would make those decisions that they would sell death, and they would be buying life. I recently realized that dying is safe for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Eternity has already begun for us. What does the oil represent? The oil represents his presence and power, the spirit of God throughout the Bible. It represents your life, your passion. It represents what breaks your heart. This oil represents your time, your talent, and your treasure. And as those jars break, it would represent pouring it out for Jesus at the foot of the cross. What does the jar represent? This jar could represent the shackles of the world for you. It could represent a job that you don't belong in, maybe a toxic work environment that you need to leave today. Maybe it's the expectations from generations that went before you the expectations of your kids or maybe your spouse or, or maybe even your parents. 
maybe the jar represents a, a new entrepreneurial endeavor uh, that you're too afraid to pursue, or, or maybe it's an unwritten book. So I'd invite you to decide today to cut off all other options, to break the jar today. So the instructions would be that Raven is going to stand over there as well. She'll hand you a jar and then take 15, 30 seconds to bray about what this moment means to you. Is it adopting a growth mindset? Is it balance sheet giving? Is it sunsetting? And you hold the jar level with your eyes and you release that jar into the bucket. I just pray, Jesus, that this generation would have the courage and the creativity to live a, a financially liberated life, Lord. Uh, we invite your wave of revival here at Mercy Road Northwest. We say, come, Holy Spirit. Pour over us, Lord God. Let this place be the epicenter of the greatest revival in human history, Lord. Let us be eyewitnesses to that, Lord God. Thank you for touching me, Lord. Thank you for relentlessly pursuing me, Lord, for surrounding me, Lord, with this beautiful spiritual family, Lord. And as we move uh, to be a group with a thousand spirit-filled people, Lord, <laughs> that we would be a part of a, a million disciple-making movement, Lord, that all of us could take part in. We pray that the angels would rejoice as the jars break. Jesus, we praise your holy name. Amen. Amen.